Okay, yeah, so uh, we've made it to the final night, Vacation Bible School. Uh, obviously, a lot of us are extremely tired. I'm sure the parents are tired as well, uh, but I'm sure the kids are, are having a great time, and we appreciate you bringing them, and uh, we look forward to hearing some of the stories that they have over, over the next uh, you know, year or so, remembering all of these events that go on. Uh, the first night, of course, we talked about Noah. Uh, we looked at the life of Noah pretty extensively. I uh, remember Noah was uh, who God said uh, he found favor in his eyes. He was that, that one man uh, that he was going to preserve the world through, uh, requesting him to build that ark. And uh, we, we noticed some of the characteristics of Noah as well, that he was faithful. Of course, he's uh, included in the, the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. I remember the, the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 about Noah, he says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, uh, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And so we really, you know, emphasized the faith of Noah, uh, that he... Uh, was given these instructions. He knew nothing of a flood, and yet by faith he constructed that ark. The the ark, uh, you know, if it took him 120 years or so, he faithfully uh, built that up. And then, uh, of course, you know, Genesis chapter six verse 22 uh, really uh, hammered home, you know, what we talked about as well, where it talked about uh, the obedience of Noah. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, after God instructs Noah everything of how precisely he wants the ark built and what he wants to bring on the ark, it says that thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. So again, we really emphasize the faith and the obedience of Noah and not that we, you know, we tend to put him on a pedestal as this great superstar of scripture, but again, he was just a man, just like uh, you and I, and so uh, we want to make sure that we live our lives just like Noah did, uh, faithful and obedient to God. And then last night, uh, we, we looked at the ark. We talked about the ark, uh, the construction of the ark, uh, the, the components of the ark, what went into the ark, and we really focused in on the, you know, the design of it. Uh, again, there's only those three verses in Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, that really give us the, uh, the buildup of what the ark is going to uh, compose of. Again, Genesis chapter 6, starting verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. Uh, the length of the ark, 300 cubits in breadth, excuse, in breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark. And finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door on the ark on the side of it. And you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And so, you know, that's all scripture reveals to us as to the, the components, the construction of the ark. As if, uh, you know, God may have given Noah uh, further instructions that are just not recorded. But all we're told is, you know, build it out of gopher wood. Now, you know, we mentioned that we don't necessarily know what gopher wood is, if it's still around today, but that was obviously important for God to uh, tell him that, you know, don't use just any type of wood, but you are to use gopher wood. 
and uh, also that there were to be rooms in the ark and that uh, he was to cover the inside and the outside uh, with pitch. Uh, again, whether that was uh, an absorber or um, some sort of adhesive to uh, you know, make sure there's no leakage in the, in the ark during the, 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 the year's span that he's going to be out there on the flood. Uh, we're not sure. And then in verse 15, again, the, the, the dimensions of the ark. 300 cubits long, 50, uh, excuse me, 300 cubits long, and 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. And again, we sort of uh, estimated for ourselves, you know, what that would be in, you know, our modern terminology, you know, if we were to measure it out in feet, 450 feet long, so we're taking this building and multiplying it by four, uh, 75 feet wide, so pretty much the breadth or the width of this building is about how uh, wide the ark was, and then 45 feet high. And from this, uh, from the carpet here to the ceiling is about 20 feet. And so we, you know, again, we need to multiply this, uh, double it, and then add five feet to sort of get the height of this ark. And uh, I know we have some uh, other people here who weren't with us last night, but we mentioned, you know, the, the ark encounter. Uh, you know, has anyone been to the ark encounter up there in northern Kentucky? We had only one person last night who admitted that they went, and I guess no one else has been there. But you've probably seen pictures of it, you've probably heard about it, and just how massive it is. And it really gives you a good picture of uh, what, uh, what the ark may have looked like, but definitely the dimensions of the ark are uh, to scale. We also, as we were reviewing the ark, we talked about uh, different aspects to it, especially, you know, the skeptical side of it. Again, uh, the, the curriculum the kids are using is by Apologetics Press, and they are a group of uh, apologists, not that they uh, tell people they're sorry, but that they are defending the faith. Uh, their goal is to teach uh, Christians how to uh, defend the faith, and in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, of course, is the scripture that tells us that uh, we need to always be ready to make a defense to the hope that is in us, but yet do it with gentleness and reverence. And so we're looking at the story of Noah and the ark, one of the most you know, picked at accounts uh, in scripture. And we want to you know, have our children learn, uh, of course, the, the, you know, the basics of this account, but also you know, how to defend it. Uh, when, when maybe uh, skeptics will say, well, there's no way he could have built a wooden ark that would have stayed afloat for a year. Uh, uh, there's no way he could have fit every animal uh, that, on, you know, that was on earth at that time into the ark, uh, you know, two of every of those. And so you know, a lot of what we're looking at the past couple of nights and tonight is meant to help us, uh, again, be able to uh, defend the faith. And so you know, we talked about, well, maybe uh, you know, people will say, you know, well, you know, could Noah really have built the ark? You know, could an amateur really have built the ark? And we don't know, of course. We don't know if Noah was a boat a builder by trade. Uh, we don't know Noah's background, per se. Um, was, the, was the ark seaworthy? You know, we, we looked at some of the aspects of that. Uh, again, the dimensions of the ark, uh, when we... Uh, sort of break it down in this ratio of 30 to 5 to 3. 
Uh, we we uh, mentioned that during World War II, when we started constructing, you know, our large cargo ships, you know, that's the exact sort of ratio that we used to build those uh, to obviously get, you know, supplies from uh, one continent to another. It was the same ratio that the Ark was built, a 30 to 5 to 3. And so, you know, again, how did Noah know that? How did Noah so long ago know how to build a ship uh, in those dimensions? Well, obviously, that's because God had told him. You know, did Noah have enough time to build uh, a ship uh, of this capacity? And uh, we really broke that down, uh, talking about the numbers. You know, if uh, Noah worked uh, eight hours a day, six days a week for 120 years, you know, that was around 300,000 working hours uh, for Noah alone. And that's not including his wife and his children and their wives. And we mentioned that, you know, the, again, the ark encounter, that ark there uh, was built in 280,000 working hours. And that's, again, with power tools, and that's with uh, trucks and, and lifts and, uh, you know, pre-cut lumber and all that. And so it's quite impressive to think that, uh, that Noah had, you know, he had plenty of time to construct the ark. And, uh, and I think the final thing we talked about was, you know, was it big enough to hold every animal uh, or two of every kind? And again, a lot of times when we depict Noah's ark, we have these full-grown hippopotamuses, full-grown rhinoceroses. And, you know, that's probably not necessarily what was placed on the ark. You know, it was probably a juvenile. You know, that would make more sense that God would have sent juvenile rhinoceroses to the ark because... Uh, when they get off the ark, uh, they're going to be the ones that are going to be more likely to, to procreate and to multiply and, and, you know, and, and fill the earth. And so, uh, again, uh, you know, the, the giraffes, the giant giraffes that have their necks sticking out the, the window that we often see in those depictions of Noah's ark, you know, that, that probably wasn't how it was. It, they, they were probably juvenile animals, and so that would make more sense. It would make more sense. Uh, because they wouldn't have to store as much food and space and all that. So that's really, uh, you know, just kind of give you a, a quick review of what we've studied the, the past couple of nights. And, and now we're uh, focusing our attention to uh, the last uh, series of lessons on uh, really focusing in on the flood. So this is really the, the culmination of uh, Genesis 6. And then as we sort of started Genesis chapter 7, and it's going to be uh, the fulfillment of Genesis 7 and 8, and, and then once we get into chapter 9 as well. Do you know how many uh, flood legends there are out there just, you know, around the globe? Legends of a flood from antiquity, uh, from past history. There's literally hundreds of them. Hundreds, uh, you know, from... You know, China and, and Babylon, Mexico, Egypt, India, Norway, Romania, just all over, all these different places, they all sort of have this uh, a recorded history of a, of a flood. And uh, one person took these, uh, these stories, uh, uh, the hundred of these stories, and they analyzed all a hundred of them, and they came up with this, uh, this, this calculation. It said that 95% of these stories say this flood was worldwide. Uh, 88% of those stories say that a certain family was saved through the flood. 70% uh, of these stories say that uh, the survival of the people was by boat. 
Uh, 67% of these stories say that the animals were also saved. Uh, 66% of these stories say that uh, wickedness was the reason why uh, this, this flood came upon the earth. And then 9%, 9% of these stories, and let's say there's 100 stories, so at least nine of them say that exactly eight people were saved. Well, what do you think, what, what, what do those numbers mean, you think? What do you think the, this original, uh, these hundreds of, you know, flood legends uh, within, you know, these countries, where do you think this originated from? It's probably Noah and the Ark, right? Uh, Noah and the Ark. Uh, a, a story that was uh, passed down from, you know, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth to their children and grandchildren and grandchildren and and as far as history can tell, and, um, you know, the, as they spread and migrated throughout the known world, you know, these stories, obviously, you know, what, what tends to happen to stories over time? They get embellished a little bit, don't they? And maybe they change. You, know, you remember that old telephone game where, you know, you, you have one person on one end and somebody on the other, and you specifically say, you know, a sentence, and... And then they hear it, and then they say it to somebody else, and they pass it on to somebody else, and then maybe it goes around six or seven times, and by the time it gets to the last person, uh, the story is changed just a little bit, right? And so that's probably what we have here, right, is the story of Noah and the flood being passed down from generation to generation. And, you know, it's not going to be recorded until a little bit until later when Moses is going to record, uh, obviously, the book of Genesis. And so um, you have these stories going throughout the whole known world. In China, they have their own story of a worldwide flood. And uh, again, um, you know, it, there's just hundreds of these in various cultures. And so we understand that, you know, these uh, originated with, obviously, the real thing, Noah and the ark. I want to read a passage before we jump into Genesis. Uh, in the New Testament, in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, again, this is one of those passages in the New Testament where uh, the Apostle Peter is going to reference the, the flood. And so again, that's another reason why we believe uh, that the flood occurred and why we believe that Noah built the ark is because, uh, number one, Jesus confirmed it in Scripture. Matthew chapter 24, uh, because the Hebrews writer affirms it for us, and also because the Apostle Peter affirms it. Uh, Peter in, in 1 Peter, and also here in 2 Peter. So let's see what uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, Peter writes, Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept 
for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And so, you know, Peter here in, in, in his last uh, letter that he's going to write in the last section of this is, you know, he's discussing these scoffers and these mockers, the, these people that are saying, you know, you keep preaching about this Jesus and about the second coming and, you know, it hasn't happened yet and it's probably never going to happen. And, and they're denying, you know, the, the judgment of the Lord and um, they've observed, you know, they never observed uh, his alleged uh, workings. And so because they didn't see those things, you know, because they didn't know Jesus or, or see him perform these miracles, they're, they're denying um, his existence or they're denying uh, his uh, messiahship. So Peter, in this passage, he responds to them by pointing to two things. Uh, first, the creation, uh, but then also the flood there. Uh, again, verse uh, 5 and, or 6 in particular, it says, through which the world at that time was destroyed, uh, being flooded by water. And again, you know, the point we're trying to emphasize is, you know, the same thing is going on today, right? The people are mocking uh, Christians, uh, scoffing at Christians because, uh, you know, we believe in this worldwide flood. Uh, that we believe that Noah uh, was given the instructions by God to build the ark and to build it out of the gopher wood and, and to save, uh, you know, the, the animals, two of every kind, and, and to preserve their lives. And again, uh, they were mocked because of that. And, uh, and so Peter brings that up as an example. Uh, you know, you're, you're mocking uh, me for, for preaching Jesus just like they, they mocked uh, Noah back in the day. Remember, again, we talked about that the other day. You know, what does the New Testament refer to uh, Noah as? A preacher of righteousness, right? Noah was a preacher. Uh, we, we don't often think of him as a preacher, uh, but he obviously was a preacher of righteousness. While he was building that ark, he was probably preaching to the people to tell them to repent, uh, to stop the wickedness that's going on in, in the world, uh, to uh, get on the ark, uh, because God's going to bring that great flood. So let's, uh, let's talk about uh, some of the biblical evidences first of, uh, of the flood. So I'm going to go back into Genesis uh, chapter 6. And we're going to read some of the scriptures uh, in reference to the flood. We'll, we'll start at this uh, first one in Genesis chapter 6, verse 17. So this is the, the first time that God is instructing Noah. And he says, Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. And so there's really, you know, the, the first instructions that, that Noah is given. And as we get into chapter 7, uh, things are going to obviously uh, start to escalate, starting in verse 1. Uh, then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you uh, of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to offer offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. 
And now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. So, um, you know, we notice here that, um, that, again, that Noah was, you know, 600 years old when he gets on to the ark as the floodwaters are coming, as God shuts the door. And, you know, obviously Noah's going to live to be 950. So this, uh, again, is, I think, was around like, I think we said right around 45, somewhere in the mid-40s, uh, if we were to put it in our terms, uh, that, that Noah would have been as he gets on the ark. And uh, let's look at verse 10 through 12. It says, It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. And then in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open, and the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Let's drop down to verse 17. Then the flood came up upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. And then the last verse in that chapter says, The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So, you know, those passages are really telling us, you know, the, the waters, uh, uh, you know, the, the, they're filling the earth. What, do you remember what two uh, ways the waters uh, filled the earth? There in, uh, in those passages, verse 11 in particular. Yeah, so a lot of times when, again, when we're depicting Noah's Ark, we think of, you know, the, the rain's just fallen, fallen down from the sky. And obviously that's a portion of it. Uh, verse 11 tells us that the floodgates of the sky were opened. You know, that's just a, uh, a, a fancy way uh, of telling us that, it, you know, it was raining hard. It was raining a lot. And so the floodgates were open. Obviously the water is coming down. It's raining for 40 days, but it also tells us there that the fountains of the great deep burst open. And we don't often think about that, uh, that the, the, these fountains uh, in the bottom of the oceans are, are bursting open. And then we got water coming up uh, as well uh, from the ocean, you know, increasing upon the earth. Uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. So these waters prevailed upon the earth. You know, they're increasing and increasing and increasing, we're told there, at the end of chapter 7 for 150 days. And then we get to chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth, and at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. So we got a nice parallel there of, you know, 150 days of it increasing, and then another 150 days of it uh, decreasing. The floodgates of the sky, again, were closed, 
the, the waters from the deep, uh, those are shut off as well. And, you know, really the only thing we're told there is in verse 1 that God caused a wind to pass over uh, the earth. Uh, and the waters subsided. And I'll explain a couple of other things here in a moment as to what we uh, believe uh, happened in that juncture. Uh, because, again, Scripture does not give many details about what occurred during the flood, but we see some of those important clues, right? Again, uh, the fountains. The fountains of the deep were, were broken up. You know, this probably has to do with a lot with, uh, uh, you know, plate tectonics. You know, again, I explained the other day that um, my background is not in science. Right? That was probably one of the, my least favorite subjects in school. And so uh, a lot of this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, trying hard to understand. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, you know, science wasn't a class that clicked with me. And so, um, you know, but we remember in school about plate tectonics and, you know, how when they shift, uh, you know, volcanoes and, and earthquakes and all those things erupted. And that's really what uh, creation scientists believe is happening uh, when, when God is bringing this flood upon the earth, when, the, you know, the, the, the fountains of the deep are bursting up and we've got the land shifting and uh, we've got, again, the, these uh, great fountains coming up. And, of course, again, the, the, the windows of heaven, the intense raid coming down, the floodgates of the sky, 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, the increase that happened there in chapter 7, verse 17. Uh, then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark. So, again, this isn't just, you know, a little bit of water. Uh, this is uh, enough water that's going to lift up this massive, massive structure. And also, uh, not only that, but, you know, we were told that it's going to uh, rise above the, the, the mountainous ranges uh, in that time period. Um, again, uh, roughly five months of this prevailing for 150 days. Uh, look at verses 19 and 20. Uh, chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. Again, it says, The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains... Everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. Verse 20 is very, very interesting uh, to me in particular. And I, uh, I gave a lesson maybe a month ago, a devotional talk uh, here uh, about this verse. And, you know, we think, you know, why is this verse even in the Bible? You know, why is God letting us know there in verse 20 that the waters were 15 cubits higher than, you know, the, the mountains. And again, a cubit was approximately 18 inches, you know, from your elbow to your tip of your uh, finger. And so the waters prevailed, again, 15 cubits higher than the mountains. And, and we wonder, you know, why is this information even in Scripture? You know, why does God uh, want us to know this? And when we talked about how in shipbuilding, in engineering, there's this thing called uh, the draft, and it's spelled D-R-A-U-G-H-T. It doesn't sound how it's spelled, but, but the draft of a ship. Uh, what is the draft of a ship? It's a, it's a measurement. It's a type of measurement of you know, how far uh, something's going to sink in the water when it's at its full capacity. Okay, and so um, what's interesting to me about this is that we're, t 
that a draft of a ship is approximately half half of you know how tall it is. And so if you have an arc that's uh, 30 cubits high and you put it in the water, right? You put it in the water at full capacity, it's gonna sink into the water exactly half of its height. And so it's gonna sink you know, 15 cubits into the water. Well, again, what does God tell us there in verse 20 of how high the water prevailed over the, you know, the highest mountain? 15, right, exactly, the exact amount. So God brought the exact amount of water that he needed for this flood to uh, you know, be successful and for you know, if the ark was uh, you know, going in the direction of you know, a mountain range, you know, it's not going to hit that mountain range because it is exactly how high it needs to be over the tallest mountain. And so, again, that's just, it's just fascinating to me when, when I read about that, uh, about uh, you know, this, the, the increase of water that we see on the earth at this time. Also, you know, this was, uh, this, this had to have been, according to scripture, it had to have been a global flood. Again, a worldwide flood. Uh, people will want to say, well, maybe it was just a local flood. Uh, but again, why, why would, uh, why would uh, Noah waste, or why would God have Noah waste, you know, 120 years, a decade building an ark if it was just going to be a local flood? Right? Why wouldn't he just have everyone move to the place on the earth that it wasn't going to flood? Well, again, because it points to a global flood. You know, again, why bring animals from all over that known world at that time unless it was going to be a global flood? You know, and, of course, he describes it covering the mountains here. And, and later, when we talk about the covenant that God's going to make with Noah and his, gener- and his family, that, um, that he's never going to flood the earth again, well, has there been floods since? No. Right, or regional local floods. There have been regional local floods all the time. And so, uh, obviously, uh, we understand that, you know, this uh, covenant that God made uh, with uh, Noah and, again, his family to never flood the earth again, uh, he's talking about a global flood because floods have occurred since then. And so that's what he's uh, talking about. So we've talked about the increase and now the subsiding. Again, another 150 days and the water starts to subside. Uh, the, the windows of heaven are shut off. Uh, the mountains of the deep are shut off. Again, a great wind passed over the earth and therefore the water began to recede. Uh, verse four of chapter eight tells us that in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains uh, of Ararat. And so um, that's where, you know, we, that's where the Bible lets us know that, that the ark uh, comes to a resting place there. I want to read a passage to you in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 104. Here's another one of these, you know, really uh, interesting uh, aspects. Of course, you know, when we read the book of Psalms, we, we're reading, uh, you know, poetry a lot of poetical uh, language uh, that David and some of the other psalm writers are using. And in Psalm 104, starting in verse 5, notice how the, the psalmist here describes uh, the flood, the flood that happens in the day of Noah. He says, He established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. 
You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valley sank down to the place where, which you established for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. that an interesting verse that we just read there, especially in verse 8, as he's describing the, this global flood, that the mountains rose and the valleys sank down? You know, again, when um, the, the, the world that Noah lived in, uh, the world that Adam and Eve uh, lived in, and, and Cain and Abel and, and Seth and Methuselah and all those individuals up to Noah, that world was a lot different than the, the post-world, the world that we live in now. Right, after the worldwide flood. And so, again, what we believe, uh, creation scientists believe that what's going on here is, you know, the, the, the earth is being formed into what, uh, really what we understand it today. And so uh, when these uh, great waters of the deep are bursting forth and the, the plate tectonics are shifting, uh, you know, we, we've got mountain ranges uh, being built up and we've got valleys going down further. And, uh, you know, a lot of that is, um, you know, what we see and know today. Uh, and he also says there in verse 9, again, we don't want to miss this as well, that you, saying that, God, you set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return uh, to cover the earth. Right? The, um, you know, when, you, when you're out on a beach, you know, and you step out into the water, into the ocean, you know, you're, you're below sea level, Right? But, you know, as you start to, you know, make your way inland, you know, the, the land is, you know, steadily rising and rising and rising. And, and uh, you know, that's, you know, that's what I believe that, that what the psalmist is talking about, this boundary. Again, this boundary that God had set that the waters may never pass over it again uh, so that they will not return to cover the earth. Right. That's why the ocean water stays in the ocean and it doesn't come into the land. Uh, now, obviously, we understand that, you know, water rises sometimes in, in lakes and in rivers and streams. And, and uh, you know, there might be a local global flood here and there. But uh, never again has there been a global flood like in the days of Noah. And because God has set that boundary, he says there again in Psalm 104. You know, a lot of the, uh, the poetical writers, uh, even in Job... Job chapter 38 mentions something similar. Job chapter 38, verse 16. Uh, he says, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? You know, this is where Job is, uh, or where God is challenging Job and uh, saying, you know, uh, you know, my, my level of knowledge is infinite and, you know, and you're challenging me. And he says, there in that particular verse, verse 16, uh, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Again, um, we think of the ocean floor. Is it all just, you know, this flat land? No, right. There, there's, there's valleys in the ocean floor, right? There, there's uh, maybe what we'd refer to as, you know, mountain ranges and the valley floor. Again, all uh, a part of, you know, this, this time period of the flood when it occurred uh, being formed that way. And so, again, 
I am not, uh, uh, you know, a scientist uh, or, uh, you know, studying any f- portion of uh, uh, geology or, geog- or uh, any sort of like that, but I just want to kind of explain uh, the three top reasons that, you know, this curriculum tells us that uh, we can understand that, you know, the flood did happen today. And, and maybe you understand this a lot better than I do, but uh, let me just give you the three top reasons why uh, we believe, why there is evidence that a worldwide flood occurred. And, and the first one is because um, the sedimentary rock layers across continents and even between the continents. And so sedimentary rock, uh, you know, does anyone know how that's formed? It's basically formed in water. Uh, they, these, you know, the pieces, these minerals come together and the water uh, forms these, uh, these rocks. These aren't rocks that are formed by um, uh, metamorphic uh, processes, you know, or from, you know, lava or anything like that. But these, this is water, or excuse me, these are rocks that are formed by, you know, water pressure, right? And so scientists believe that 80% to 90% of the Earth's surface is covered with sedimentary rock. You know, again, almost 90% of the, of the earth is covered with this type of rock that is formed by water. And so that makes us believe that, uh, you know, that points to uh, a, time, a point in time where the, the earth was covered with water. The second thing, and this is the one that I think is most interesting, is that marine fossils are found on every single continent and even in mountain ranges. Marine, marine fossils. Okay, things that live in the ocean are found on all seven continents and even uh, in mountain ranges. Well, again, how did they get atop these mountains? How did they get there? Uh, how do we explain that? Even in the Himalayas, which is you know, the tallest mountain ranges in the world, they, they have found fossil re- uh, records of uh, marine, uh, marine fossils. So again, you know, how did those get there? Does it make sense that if there was a worldwide flood that uh, they would have rested there and uh, became fossilized and found later, right? And so I just think that one's fascinating. And then the third one is what they refer to as the Cambrian explosion. And so this is, you know, the further they dig deep into the ground, uh, you know, at the furthest point that, we, you know, we've dug there, there's just really not too many fossils there. Uh, that they can find, but then there's this, this, uh, you know, a layer above that where there's just an explosion, an explosion of fossils, and so, you know, again, how did all of these fossils get in this, uh, this one layer of the earth? Or maybe to better explain that, uh, does everything that die and go into the ground fossilize, or is it got to be a special? process. Yeah, I see some heads shaking. Yeah. Yeah. Not everything that dies uh, fossilizes. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be buried quickly. And uh, not only that, but it's got to be separated from oxygen for uh, something to be fossilized. Uh, and so when you get to this specific layer in the ground, there's all of these fossils. Well, again, uh, what makes sense is that a worldwide flood happened, right? All of these uh, animals that were on the earth at that time uh, were uh, quickly buried, and again, the oxygen left uh, uh, the, the space, and they were fossilized there. 
And so again, that, that's what's referred to as the Cambrian explosion. So, you know, there are, there are an abundance, an abundance of evidence that, that we can see, that again, that scientists can see, as that points to a worldwide flood. Well, let, let's, uh, let's finish our story because I know our time is fleeting. Uh, but let's get back into uh, Genesis chapter 8. And let's just sort of rehash the rest of the story. So the water's subsiding. Uh, we know in Genesis chapter 8, Noah, he's going to open the window and he's going to send out a raven. And does the raven return to him? No, the raven doesn't return. But then about a week later, he sends out a dove. And I was talking to uh, Christian, our youth uh, intern, uh, this morning about this verse. And I'd never noticed this before, but when it talks about the raven, it mentions uh, basically uh, him, uh, or mentions the raven as an it. Um, you know, it, it says he sent it out or it flew here and there. But when he talks about the dove, he says, uh, then he sent out a dove from him. This is verse 8, to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So I just thought that was really interesting that the, the dove uh, was female. Um, we, were, we were trying to find a, a good joke to crack about that, but we uh, couldn't think of one. But it was just fascinating to think about that, you know, the dove that was sent out, uh, the Bible describes it and lets us know that it was, it was the female dove. Uh, that, that was on the ark. And so the dove goes out and um, she returns. The first time she sent out, does she find anything? No, not the first time. And so he sends the same dove out uh, again a week later. And this time she returns uh, with a freshly picked olive leaf. And now Noah understands that. Uh, or what does that signify to Noah? Yeah, that, that things are getting safe now, right? That uh, there must be uh, plants available for uh, the dove to find. And so God's going to tell them to get out of the ark. He's going to send the animals out, tell them to be, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Noah builds an altar and sacrifices some of the uh, animals, they, uh, the extra animals that he brought. And, and God also is going to tell uh, Noah and his family here in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, for them to multiply as well and to fill the earth. I was going to ask, there was a movie that came out in 2014 called Noah uh, by, and I think Russell Crowe was the, the main actor. Did anyone see that movie? A couple, yeah. Was it, did it tie to the biblical account? Yeah, there were some aspects to it, but there were a lot of aspects to it that, uh, that just, it made no sense when you compare it to a scripture. And one of the things about it that was, um, you know, the kind of off-put to me was the emphasis on the animals, right? There, there was sort of this emphasis in the movie that, uh, you know, that humans were, were bad because they were destroying the earth and that, you know, God really want, what he really wanted to do was preserve the animals and not the people, and I think even Noah and his family sort of had this pact together that when they got off the ark that they were going to you know, end their lives and just let the animals uh, live on the earth. But then they, they changed their mind at some point in the movie. But look at what uh, chapter 9 again says, beginning in verse 1. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Right? Uh, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on, the, on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish in the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all of it to you as I gave the green plant. Does that sound like a God who uh, was going to, uh, you know, wipe out mankind? No, this is a God that wanted the world to start over and that the animals were going to be in subjection uh, to Noah and man going forward. I know I'm out of time, and so uh, we're going to have to end it here. But again, I appreciate uh, your attention. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of the things that we talked about in the past couple of days will be helpful for you. And, uh, you know, please uh, let me know if, uh, if there's anything that I can uh, try to answer for you uh, according to uh, this account here of Noah and the Ark.